sometimes I find these little signs from the universe, like how much better my life has gotten, and my marriage has gotten, and my relationship with my boyfriend has gotten since we all moved together, and just like how blessed I am. This is the Heath in Pursuit podcast with Heath Hollinsby. Each week we'll have a conversation with various folks who are actively engaged in the pursuit of truth. This is a show where anything can be discussed, and probably will. A podcast for the seekers, the dreamers, the restless, the hurt, and the broken. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Thank you, James, and welcome to another edition of Heath in Pursuit. I'm Heath Hollinsby, and I will be your guide for this conversation as we get into a very quirky world uh, with a really cool guest. My guest today is named Jennifer Martin, and I came to know of Jennifer based off... It was one of those things on Twitter where you don't necessarily follow somebody, but sometimes it'll kind of throw out like one of your friends liked this post from somebody or... Uh, kind of retweeted this person. And that's how I actually came to know about Jennifer. And if you're wanting to follow her, I'm going to give out her Twitter handle right now, which is not really JCM. So it's at not really JCM. Uh, and she's a fun watch on Twitter. She's a great conversationalist. And uh, you can peruse some of her tweets during this conversation if you desire to get to know her more. Uh, she's an editor. She's a writer. I love that she talks about, um, she likes writing about religion occasionally. She's a nice leftist, dirtbag Christian, and that's not the other way around. But one of the other things that is in her Twitter description is that she's a polyam slash bi. And that's what we're going to talk about today, this topic of polyamory. And we're going to get to know her a bit too. So it's not just that topic, but polyamory is is pretty interesting. Actually, for many Christians, polyamory seems to be really this extreme line of thought and uh, so rare that there's no need to talk about it. But that's actually just not the case. It's a lot more common than some people think, and it's actually growing in popularity. According to one estimate, as many as 5% of Americans are currently living in relationships involved in consensual non-monogamy, which is about the same percentage of those people who identify as LGBTQ. And so chances are you know somebody who's living in a consensual non-monogamous relationship. Uh, there was a recent study published in a peer-reviewed journal that found that 20% of Americans have been in consensual non-monogamous relationships at least once in their life. And a different study showed that nearly 70% of non-religious Americans between the ages of 24 and 35 believe that polyamory is okay, even if it's not their specific cup of tea or coffee. And perhaps one of the most uh, shocking statistics comes from sociologist Mark Regeneris, who says that roughly 24% of church-going people believe that consensual polyamorous relationships are morally permissible. On September 25th, 2019, in Christianity Today, Preston Sprinkle and Branson Parler wrote an article called Polyamory, Pastor's Next Sexual Frontier. And there's a little bit of information from this article that I thought was really helpful as we start the conversation. So polyamory comes from the Greek word poly, meaning many, and the Latin word amor, which means love. And that refers to the practice of or desire for intimate relationships with more than one partner, with the consent of all partners being involved. And while these intimate polyamorous relationships between three or more people are typically sexual, they don't always need to be, and they can take very different forms. So, for instance, V's are poly relationships where one person sexually engaged with two other people, and triads are relationships where all three people are sexually involved with one another. Another defining element of polyamorous relationships is that they're honest and they're consensual. So cheating and lying are actually really frowned upon in the poly community. Um, unlike polygamy, polyamory does not always involve a marriage commitment. It's much more egalitarian. 
Polyamory is also different from swinging and open relationships, though they do overlap at times. Open relationships are polyamorous, but not every polyamorous relationship is an open relationship. Sex and relationship expert Renee Devine says, An open relationship is one where one or both partners have a desire for sexual relationships outside of each other, and polyamory is about having intimate, loving relationships with multiple people. Notice again, polyamory is not just about sex. It includes love and romance and emotional commitment among three or more people. So definitely a lot to talk about, and I will admit that I am a newbie going into this entire conversation, but I'm excited to have it. So uh, Jennifer C. Martin, welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, the reason we decided to do this was a couple weeks ago on social media, you were you were saying that you were doing a podcast, and, and I said, come be on mine, and you said, sure, no problem, and it just happened to work out. And as I was just setting up your your the introduction to the show a few minutes ago, um, I noticed on Twitter something that caught my eye, and I want to hear kind of what your gut reaction was when you started being followed by Barack Obama, because that's pretty freaking cool. Oh, so like when I started being followed by Barack Obama, it was in like, I joined Twitter in um, 2009, and he went through this period where I think he was following back a lot of random people. So it's not like he is my friend or anything. He never comments on your posts. <laughs> of course not. He doesn't care. But I, but like it's funny because when he started following me, um, I was probably still a Republican. <laughs> oh, really? I don't. I never voted for Obama. I voted for McCain in 2008. I was a big Ron Paul person. Yep. And then I voted for Gary Johnson in 2012. And now I am so far left that I like have to hold my nose to vote for some of the more mainstream candidates. But if you live in Virginia, <laughs> you don't want to risk. It's a bit of a purple state. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have like the giant Trump 2020 sign in your front yard this year. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> oh, man. What an interesting time too to be that close. Because I mean, how far are you from all the action? So we're about two hours south from D.C. Richmond is. And but with traffic, it's closer to three hours traffic. Okay. It, that's like driving from Richmond to D.C. is such such terrible traffic that I almost never do it. I mean, you guys are enough in like the the radius of D.C. Do you guys get elements of like politics hitting you harder than maybe somebody would? Oh, yeah. Richmond was in the news recently. Um, Alex Jones came to Richmond um, in a tank. No. <laughs> yeah. He, he came in a tank to protest the, a gun bill, which didn't pass again. That's why I. It's important for me to vote in these elections. Yeah. And like, because uh, in Rich in Virginia, Martin Luther King Day is for some reason like this big political day. Hmm. And so even though all the government stuff is closed, a bunch of people come out and protest a bunch of different stuff. And Alex Jones took the opportunity to protest against some gun bill that was up for and it didn't even pass. So maybe his oh, tank bummer. worked. Yeah. This was pre-Alex uh, Jones DUI the other day, right? Oh, yeah. I tried not to feel too good about like other people's misfortunes, but I felt pretty good about that one. <laughs> yeah, it's hard not to. Okay, so we're going to get into the whole polyamorous conversation here in just a minute. But we were talking just a few minutes ago offline, and you had mentioned to me that you just got back from a couple weeks ago going to a Quaker church, which is something that was foreign to you, but you really actually loved it a lot more than you thought. I'm curious, what was it about it that you particularly enjoyed? I mean, I grew up in a hostel, so going to a quiet church is a complete anomaly for me. And I just, like, I didn't know what would happen. And I guess when you sit in silence for a while, when people do talk, it's so meaningful and it just sits with you. 
instead of just like the nonstop noise of other toys of ch- of other churches. Did you take the kids with you? No, I. They had kid. They had kids there. I just went with my boyfriend, and he is not um, as religious as me and the rest of my family, but he really liked it too. And it was a really interesting experience. And I was thinking about like trying to go once a month, like cheating on my quote unquote real church, United Church of Christ. But now all churches are closed down. So temporarily, hopefully. (laughs) Was there anything about that experience that was completely foreign to you? Because I've got a good buddy, devout Quaker. And when he would explain it, I was like, man, it'd be really cool if I didn't have four kids under the age of 10 that I had to figure out how to shut up for, you know such a long time they took the kids down and like like i thought the kids were going to be there the whole time and there was one kid i was like if they like they were so loud and i'm a parent myself so i try to be sympathetic but i was like i'm not gonna be able to focus if the kids are just (laughs) but they took the kids downstairs to do their own thing i guess i was surprised by other people's emotions somebody in front of me started crying in silence and i didn't know what to do it was my instinct to like Mm. pat them on the back or like say something but i just like i didn't want to did you pat him on the back no (laughs) no somebody else did though he was surrounded by people everybody like and i also i guess i assumed there's a lot of liturgical churches like episcopalian churches that are sometimes very i would say like white upper class like there's a reason the waspy stereotype exists but the Quaker service, I, and I thought that Quakers would be the same, but there were, it was yeah. very diverse and not just in race, but in age. And like, I was surprised oh. there were more young people there than at my church. Oh, wow. Like I'm probably one of the youngest people at my church. And I was just surprised at how many younger people were there. It was pretty crowded. I, I find it hard to sit still and be quiet. Um, yeah. It was a challenge for me. My boyfriend, I think, wanted me to go just because he was like, can you do this? Can you do this? And oh, there was a couple of times I thought, should I say something? Should I stand up and be like the stranger? But I really did yeah. want to challenge myself to not talk the whole time, not look at my phone, not look at anything, just focus yeah. on silence and what other people were saying. What a cool experience. Everybody should go once, in my opinion. Go to a Quaker church once. But I, I need to see if there's any around me because I'd love to go. I know there's shakers around here, which I don't know if that's like a, a spinoff of the Quakers, but I know they kind They're of- wild. I, I think that they like- I don't know how they exist because they, I, if it's the same ones, they're like pro abstinence. Maybe they've adapted for the modern age. I only know shakers from a <laughs> you historical. Have to. Yeah, like they believe in like abstinence for everybody and not just like unmarried people or whatever, for everybody. So, like, how does the oh, movement wow. keep going? They may have changed now. I don't know anything about modern shakers. <laughs> I haven't met many people that do know much about modern shaker movements. So, I don't. I don't hold that against you. Okay, so you were raised in Eastern Tennessee, and I'm kind of curious about your upbringing. Like, were you raised in religion? Were you not? How did you get to where you are today based off where you came from? I was raised in Church of God. Um, okay. It's There's many different kinds of churches of God. This is the Church of God, the Pentecostal one, and they're charismatic, okay. and they're very conservative, and they're led by... Um, a leader rather than the church I go to now United Church of Christ is congregational which I prefer Mm. for um that's the sort of format that I prefer I think the congregation should have say over how its own church works oh interesting so it's a form of government is that how it kind of works yeah it's very strict too um I believe the Southern Baptist Church works the same way 
Okay. But even they have a little more flexibility per church than the Church of God does. Like the Church of God demands that each church donates 10% of their tithes that they collect at the church to the institution. So religion has obviously had a huge part of your life and is still a massively like important piece to who you are and what your desire for your families. I think about religion nonstop, like all the time. And I can't imagine it not being part of my life. Even if like, even if I got to a place where I completely didn't believe in any Christianity and that's not where I am in case somebody mom is listening to me. (laughs) I, I'm, I, I just, I don't think like I would still want to know about it. I would still want to participate in it. Yeah. What do you find beautiful about it? Like, is it the group of people coming together for a common purpose? Is it the routine of ritual? Like what is ritual for sure? But it's just like this kind of self-discovery, this constant reminder, like, this world is not all about you. Yeah. You have a better, higher purpose, and you have to have, you have to be here to make an impact. And um, it's, I mean, you can argue that you could, you're supposed to do things because it's the right thing to do. But I guess religion for me functions in a way that I have a reminder and a purpose in a in a way that I want to act through Jesus mm. or or whatever. Now the wrench in the system and what what kind of where we're going with today's podcast is this conversation over polyamory, which mm-hmm. is a conversation I've never actually had a conversation with somebody about this topic. I've done research and the purpose of this show is me having conversation w- with people that are in various walks of life, and I'm just kind of getting to know where they're coming from. And so I'm excited to have this, and I'm and my posture is as a learner, because I want to, I'm not saying that this is going to be where I go or where my wife goes or our marriage, but I think it's a fascinating conversation. And I just, when I was introing the show, I did a, a segment about an article written by Preston Sprinkle saying that this is the next frontier for pastors. Oh, I read that article. He was like, this is wrong. He even tried, and he's still more open-minded than... Sure. The majority of people out there, I was surprised that they even wrote about it, like to be like, this is what's happening in churches and you should be prepared for it. And, you know, if they get right with God, then they'll lean away from this. And he even presented it like this isn't just a sex thing for these people. Yeah. So I'm curious, how, how would you define polyamory so that we're kind of on a, we're, we know we're talking about the same thing as we move forward with this. I would say, as opposed to something like non-monogamy, which could just be, is more vague, polyamory okay. is having emotional relationships with mo- multiple partners, not just sexual ones. You would identify as polyamorous, correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am. I'm like. I'm like. I, I, I'm like at the the max level of polyamory, like living with multiple partners and like with my kids. So that's like mm. the most polyamorous you can get. I think that's like the end, the end stage. And there's no shame in talking about, which is what I love, because for me, you know, like I'm still like this is. It's one of those topics you're like, can we have this conversation? And so to be led by somebody who actually knows what they're talking about is really helpful. Yeah. Is this is this a um, I'm curious how, how, like, how did you, how were you introduced to this? Is this part of like your family history? Is no, this... not at all. In fact, like my parents are happily married They're And my parents are probably my favorite monogamous couple. They love each other. They love to be together. They, and so it's so, it's so hard for them to understand, like take religion out of it. It's hard for them to understand another person 
being in love with more than one person. Like, I think it's, sure. I think that's a lot of people feel the same way. That's okay. But for me, hmm. I always like, I love my husband so much. We got married. I met him when I was 18. I was engaged when I was 19. I was married when I was 20. And I had both of our kids before age 25. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm 31 now. And so okay. he was my first, uh, he was like my, like, like he was my college sweetheart. I met him like a month or two after graduating high school. So not quite high school sweetheart. Sure. At Lee and in Cleveland, it wasn't that uncommon for people that young to get married and engaged and everything. So I just hmm. was like, oh, thought nothing of it. This is normal. But even before I met him and even like as long as I could remember, I was always like attracted to multiple people or like flirting with multiple people. And then like once sure. I was married and once I was having kids, I just felt like I kept trying to run from the fact that I was attracted to multiple people because my husband is, I don't want to say perfect, but he's pretty sure. awesome and I love him a lot <laughs> and I'm very attracted to him and all of that. And I'm always super worried that people think that's not the case and it's sure. not. I had everything that I quote unquote needed and wanted with my husband. But then I would just become fascinated or almost obsessed with these other people. I wouldn't tell them or anything. And yeah. one day I was just like, I'm afraid I'm going to cheat on like my favorite person. And I don't want to be this. So I just, I'm the one who brought it up. I was like, I, Daniel, that's my husband. I was like, Daniel, yeah. I don't, I have these feelings towards people. And I had, um, occasionally sexted people before and told my yeah. husband about it afterward and he would get a little upset but not too upset and I was like I don't want to cheat on you and like I don't know if you really don't want me to explore this and I didn't even really have a name for it I didn't know what it was I just yeah. knew that like I didn't want to lie to my husband about anything in my life and I I just wanted to see what he would think about it and he had never been with anybody besides me before Sure. And we talked about it and we went to counseling about it and we started going to polyamory group before we started dating other people. Oh, wow. And yeah, we were trying to be really mindful of it, especially we have kids and stuff and, you sure. know, you just sort of ease your way into it. That's what I would, re I would recommend to anybody who's like, I'm going to be polyamorous to not like jump out and like immediately have a new serious girlfriend that, or boyfriend or whatever that moves in with you. But to just like take it really slowly, especially if you're in an established relationship already, to be really mindful of everybody's feelings. And I and Daniel, I think, had a girlfriend before I had a boyfriend, and I never, I've never struggled with jealousy, and yeah. I didn't this time. Not to say that there's no conflicts and emotions, but mostly it's over boring stuff like the chores or money, like sure. same things as other couples. So like we just played around a while like it, I would test various levels of dating but I, I would say since becoming polyamorous how long have I been probably the end of 2015 so about five years now I would say I've been in what I would consider three serious relationships uh, outside of my marriage so what do you think it is I mean obviously you have experience growing up in the church um I I would assume that the majority of pastors would say something along the lines of like, you're living in sin or you're called to be married to just one person. What are they, are they covering something? Are they just not sure how to intellectually, honestly kind of deal with external feel? Like, wh what do you think they're missing there? 
I think if monogamy was uh, the prescribed monogamy, like everybody's been trying to do this for centuries, like have sex only inside of marriage between man and woman. And it's either you prescribe to that and you follow it completely and almost nobody does, or you say, maybe this isn't right for everybody. And in which case, like, like obviously heterosexuality isn't for everybody. Um, sure. Monogamy isn't for everybody. And I would say probably premarital sex, what, like 90% of people? I think it's impossible for people to meet those standards. So you have to ask yourself, you know, people point to polygamy in the Bible and stuff. And it's true. Lots of men had multiple wives and multiple partners. And so they were considered heroes, but I don't really like that comparison because think of like, I would say probably most of those people were not really in like equitable relationships, you know, Yeah. like probably the women were sold or given to the husband and, and like, I don't know. I don't think women or relationships can be commodity, like can be commodities like that. And so I don't like using the Bible as like a model of what a healthy relationship would be it's evolved and I don't, I think it's really harmful to admit that it hasn't. Would you be of of the like mind that sure monogamous relationships does work for some people and for some people it's actually beneficial or do you think, okay, so it's not like, Hey, I think everybody who's kind of in a monogamous relationship is narrow minded or no, I'm not one of those people. I do believe in aspects of toxic monogamy. Like if you, like sometimes I'll see like, like, you know, when people are like, oh, I can't even have a meal with somebody who I, of the opposite sex. It's so yeah. heteronormative. Like maybe the person's bisexual. So do you trust them to eat with a male friend? Like it's, yep. I don't like that stuff. And I don't like it when people get super jealous and possessive of their partners, no matter the gender or relationship structure. I think it's super weird to sort of say what another person can and can't do but I also don't think that I think sometimes people find the person and they're happy with that person. And I think that's just as beautiful as like whatever I have going on. How did that conversation go with your family? Or the, I mean, did you get any kickback of like, hey, Jennifer, we're really concerned about oh, you yeah. or I, this isn't good for the kids? I posted something about polyamory a couple years ago and my mom and dad saw it on Twitter. And now I've blocked all of my family on Twitter. And they were so upset, like, and it was over Christmas and I was in Nashville for Christmas and I went home and my dad didn't even say bye to me. And it made me so sad. And like, Mm. eventually though, and I ignored it and I didn't talk to them about it for a long time and we just didn't talk about it. But when Ty moved in with me, that Ty's my boyfriend. Okay. I was like, like, I can't not tell them like I had, so I told them, I sent them a long email and I'm like, this is my life now. I told you this wasn't a phase. And my mom did ask, but she was really respectful of it. My parents don't understand it, and they certainly don't approve of it. But they're sure. they're trying to make an effort, and I'm about to tell them they can't come for Easter because of coronavirus. And they were gonna meet my they were gonna meet my boyfriend for the first time and like try their best to be hmm. to be open minded. And now I I don't think that's gonna happen. So I'm sort of bummed out that they won't be able to come when they were trying so hard and they did ask they're like yeah. what about your kids but it's like what do you think that i'm doing with my partners in front of my kids like hmm. like like i kiss them and hug them but that's the affection i would show to my husband in a monogamous marriage too i'm not having 
orgies on the floor in front of them. Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> and of course, with kids involved, I had many conversations with my boyfriend about like what it meant and that it was serious and that if he was gonna go like we have an agreement like i wear a ring for my boyfriend we both wear rings um can't legally marry two people and so that's out but in the poly community is that a common thing to wear rings as like a commitment sign i wear i mean i wear my rings from when i got married for real to my husband because it's important and then i don't know what other poly people do like maybe I know one of uh, our girlfriend was jealous because she has a live-in boyfriend as well, and she wanted, she wished he would give her a ring. <laughs> <laughs> and but but it's just a nice commitment to each other and to my children. Sure. More importantly, like if you're gonna come into here, you need to stay in my children's lives. Like you yeah. can't disappear. And he wouldn't do that. He said like if things were working out in our marriage, we would attempt family counseling before doing anything it's just like a regular relationship with kids you know we there's not gonna be sudden breakups it would be sure like you know what is it the celebrities call it conscious uncoupling to figure out how to do it in a healthful way so how does it work with the kids do they call him dad or boyfriend or no they don't call him they call him by his first name but he does like occasionally step in he has a kid too but the but his kid lives in just recently moved to louisiana so we don't get to see him very much sure but he but because of that he has more of like a parental vibe and okay yeah and so occasionally he'll step in and be a little parenty but he sort of goes by my standards i would say that daniel and i dictate what the rules for our kids are and ty just helps enforce it just like if you were like, like, it's sort of like an uncle situation. He's not going to let my kids like eat chocolate from the pantry or whatever w- watching them. And he helps them. He helps them do video game stuff. He's an important part of their life, but he's mm. not a parental replacement. Cause for one, Daniel and I are both religious and we're raising our kids to be religious. And Ty, I think is not, is not as religious at all. So sure. Yeah. Is that something like your kids, I mean, have those questions come up of like, hey, this isn't, you know, when we go to school and talk, the teachers seem shocked by how we live. Like, or are they kind luckily, of like, oh, this is our norm? Luckily, I have, um, me and Daniel are dating this girl also. She doesn't live with us, but she also has a husband and a live-in boyfriend. So my kids are constantly exposed to people who have who are also living like a completely normal lifestyle. Like it's not sex parties. It's not kinky, weird stuff. It's just like people who have a lot more than one partner living with them. And so they're not, they don't think it's as weird, but I did. I have, my kids are six and nine. And before Ty moved in, cause I asked my kids, I was like, are you comfortable with this? Like I wanted them to have an opinion too. Like, are you comfortable with this? Especially my nine year old. I was like, listen, not everybody has more than one partner. I have, I have daddy and he's my husband and then I have Ty and he's my boyfriend. But most people believe, you know, and I even told him, I was like, BB and Pappy, those are the grandparents. They, I was like, they only believe you should have one partner. And they said, and he goes, oh, well, I just disagree with that. And he just ignored hmm. it. So it's been such a part of his normal life. Like he knows that not everybody is like us, but he also sure. just like, is like, well, this is still my life. And it's 
I'm telling you, the number one concerns in their lives are still like video games and books and normal yeah. other normal kid stuff. Like they don't really care except like having extra adults around to help and do things and ask things from. Is your church accepting of this or how are you how do you guys balance that and because I saw is uh, accepting. My pastor yeah. is a lesbian woman. Well, I don't know if she's lesbian. I don't want to speak for her. She was married to a um, man and she got divorced and now she's married to a woman. So I'm a female pastor. So they're already more open-minded than the average church. Like United Church of Christ is probably the most progressive Christian denomination. My mom was like, is this Unitarian? When I told her I was going to a UCC church, she was like, is this Unitarian? Do they even believe in Jesus? I was like, they believe in Jesus, mom. It's literally in the name, United Church of Christ. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, and then the church president came up to me. She's like, you know, I live a, I'm more like you. I have a polyamorous lifestyle. I like the things you say. And my boyfriend doesn't come to church with us all the time, but my girlfriend, my girlfriend and my husband's girlfriend has come a bunch to come and hang out with us. And they just, they're just really warm and accepting. Um, Wow. Yeah. In fact, my husband is on the church council. If like, and it's hot and like, he does like advertisements for them and stuff. Yeah. They're super not judgmental. I don't know if they approve necessarily. Nobody's ever been but they certainly don't disapprove. That's the best I can get. This concept of jealousy, for me, I know that would be a massive hurdle in my life if my yeah. wife came up and was like, hey, I want to go this route. Um, what does jealousy and emotions look like in your various relationships, like in the control? And, and like, how does how does that dynamic work? Um, I would say the number one thing that actually causes jealousy in polyamory relationships are things like, oh, you went to our restaurant or you like watch this. Oh my God. I would say the number one thing is watching hmm. shows or movies without the person. Like if I went and watched one show with partner and forgot to watch it with the other partner and like didn't include them, then yeah. their feelings would be hurt. But interesting. in my opinion, jealousy is like a response. If you're already open to polyamory and you're feeling jealousy that like your partner's out doing stuff with their other partner or whatever, Maybe you just wish they were doing that more with you. And so you need to address the the needs in your own relationship, you know? Like maybe you also want a date night. You also mm. want to be included and or not included. Um, I'm not in a triad, which means basically that my partners don't aren't in a relationship with each other. I'm in a V, meaning that sure. meaning, you know, I have my separate relationship with Ty and a separate relationship with Daniel, and they just get along really well. Um mm but they're not in a relationship at all. Some people are in triads, which means everybody's in a separate relationship with everybody else. I've experienced jealousy sometimes. Like my boyfriend, I thought he was, he um, was hanging out with his ex-girlfriend for a while. And I was like, well, I think you're going to leave me. And that's what I was afraid of. I was afraid he was going to leave me. I didn't care if he was seeing another girl. For me, parenting was, I think even more about, kids teaching me something about myself than it is what I'm able to impart into them. And it almost sounds like you're describing the same thing in terms of jealousy is like, this is actually kind of revealing some, some crap in your own life that you need to deal with. And it's just being brought up because you're in the pressure cooker at that moment. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't realize until I became polyamorous, how much I relied on my husband for all my emotional support and how overwhelmed he was by it. 
Sure. Like I text, I used to text him all day and he was a teacher. He didn't, that's not a good, like texting your partner all day job. <laughs> that's like, yeah, exactly. And it exhausted him and I demanded so much for him and I just had all these emotional needs and it's a lot easier when you have multiple people to lean on for anything, mm. for finances, for emotions, for all of it. And even if you're not polyamorous, I would recommend people having more support systems outside their partner always. Mm. And not even like, it's just, I mean, you can have them as like your, you can have like your main support system, but you know, you get different things from different people. You get different, you get different kinds of support from different kinds of relationships, even if non-romantic sure. ones. So I'm kind of curious about that dynamic. Like if, if your husband Daniel came in and was like, Hey, starting tonight, I'm done with this lifestyle and I'm going to ask you to do the same. Is there like a, is there a loyalty to primary spouse first and foremost that you would go? No, I would, I would have said yes. Work? I would have said yes until Ty moved in with me. And then okay. I would be angry if either partner asked me to give up the other partner for them. I don't think I would forgive them because it's such like a big part of our lives. Um, sure. But probably like Ty and I made an equally important commitment to each other to live together and to like stay together and to like have a union where we're not going to just leave each other that we're going to really stick it out for the long term. Like it's a long term commitment with my boyfriend. In, in order for you to ask like Ty to move in, do you go, Daniel, I want you to approve of this for like, yes, I did like, ask him that, to approve of it first because okay. yeah, we shared children and we shared a house and I wouldn't, have, sure. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it if Daniel hadn't been happy with it. Um, sure. but I wouldn't choose between those two partners. I wouldn't choose one over the other previously. Maybe yeah. I would have, but I don't think I would anymore. I like, I don't think. I think if you asked me to give up someone I love for them, it's like, you know, it's like Abraham and Isaac, hmm. you know, like taking the, it's like you're taking, I mean, I, Abraham took Isaac up to be sacrificed for God, but yeah, neither of my partners is God. So, well, I almost wonder too, even in the way you phrased it a minute ago, uh, open up my mind to something I've never considered before. When you said that you and Ty made an equal commitment and him moving in and stuff. And it made me think about like, really what is the form of a primary marriage because other than a than a ceremony and a commitment and a piece of paper it's equally as massive of a commitment when you look at the logistics is moving someone in tying bills together that sort of stuff so it kind of does raise the question of like what does constitute a primary relationship is it because you met that person first and walked the aisle with that person or is it something deeper than that I would, I mean, I would say my kids and somebody that you have kids to still has something, something special, but I mean, people yeah. divorce with kids. So, but, but I would put my kids' welfare and well-being first above either relationship. It would be really difficult for me to give up equal relationship. And I would say it's just as important and like I don't, I don't take it lightly. I call them both my primary partners. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What happens in that relationship if your boyfriend says, "Hey, I want to have a kid with you"? I already talked. Oh man, I'm I'm, How do, is I'm that, sterilized. I don't want to pry, but I'm just curious. No, I'm sterilized. I don't want to have any more kids, and it has nothing to do okay. with anybody. I got sterilized before I even met Ty. 
Like I was like, sure. two kids is enough. My husband has a vasectomy. <laughs> and then when I started becoming polyam- become polyamorous, I was like, I don't want to have another kid accidentally. Like, yeah. how do I figure this in a nice way? Not that it's wrong for anybody else, but I don't think I would consider abortion as an option personally. Okay. So I would, that's why I got sterilized because I didn't ever want to have to make that option. Um, I talked sure. to him about it. I, I was like, I'm sterilized. Do you want to have more kids? Do you want to have kids with me? Like, I guess I could get my, like, what is important to you before we moved in? Yeah. And he said he was okay not having any more kids. And I guess if he changed his mind, we'd have to have a real big conversation about it. And hmm. I don't know how it would happen, but. Well, and in a relationship like that with, you know, if you're saying that both of your primary partners, was that, would that be something that you go like, no, this is a decision between me and this person, or would you have to bring the other in to honor that situation? I think you have to bring the other in if only because it also affects them. They live in the house sure. too. They will contribute financially and emotionally to any situation that would arise. So like I take everybody's opinions. If it affects them, I think their opinion matters. Have you found any downsides to this lifestyle yet? Or are you familiar with any? Funny thing is that I moved in with my boyfriend and then the same week that everybody started working from home. I mean, I've worked from home for five years, but okay. but now it's just like, like we went from seeing each other two or three times a week. We talk on the phone a lot to like living together and being together all the time. Sure. So it's a fun, it's been a fun transition though. I don't regret it and it's fun. But I guess sometimes you feel like you don't have enough space. Maybe if I had a hmm. mansion. There's a website that uh, I got some research from called morethan2.com, which is a, a polyamory promoting oh, yeah. website. It's a good beginner website. Is it? It's like yeah. the 101 to a... Yeah. yeah. Um, and what it says is that it assures that an open marriage isn't unfaithfulness because neither spouse is breaking pre-established rules. And they say, if you aren't breaking the rules of your relationship, you're not cheating by nef- definition. Um and I don't, I don't see this as a loophole, but it seems like that is a, it's a perspective that you could take that could really help you set some boundaries and set some limitations if this is something that you're kind of curious in, right? Yeah. Because open. like you said, you don't want to hide anything. So it sounds like you've been really open. I'm really open. Um, but I have that luxury to be open. Not everybody does. Sure. I mean, it's still hard. Like I still experience bigotry. My parents don't like it. I don't know how Daniel's parents or Ty's parents feel or if anybody's even super aware of the situation. It's hard, but it's, I think it's important for me to be open about it because there's so many other people out there who are in that situation and feel like they can't be open about it. Sure. Like an open marriage is different from polyamory in the way that I think it's like, this is the primary couple. This is like, like you're getting to like academic part of polyamory, which is hierarchical polyamory, which is like you have a primary partner, then a secondary, then tertiary, whatever, whatever. In one article that you wrote, you said that you've learned over the past couple of years that um, in seeking out other Christians who are polyamorous, that you're far from the only one. History. Oh yeah, not everybody's open for it. But you say that you got married young and that you felt trapped by the conservative bounds of purity culture and had, and wanted to explore the sexuality we never really got a chance to have. That's how it started. Yeah, and I and I would say I'm in the same boat. I mean, my wife and I were both. Uh, we got married at 19 and 21. Okay. And, uh, 
she had never kissed a guy uh, before me, that was and Daniel. we were both virgins on our on our on our wedding night, and um, and yet it's crazy because here we are, fifteen years later, and they're still like this. Even if we were playing by the rules of the church, of hey, wait till you get married, you do it, and then you go, okay, well now we've been so screwed up that here we are married 15 years later and we're still carrying the baggage it's of hard it's hard to unwork yeah it. did i still struggle with it sometimes i still struggle with, i don't know like i still struggle with it sometimes sometimes i wake up and i'm like like i was having all these panic attacks and and like i get i have anxiety and i'm like oh mm. this is happening because god is pol- punishing me for being polyamorous i sometimes oh, like even say that out loud like and then I have to realize that no, that's not what's happening. This is a mm. literal external force with a with a an answer and a solution. Yeah. And I don't even believe in God. Like it's so funny. I don't believe in hell. And then sometimes okay. I still worry that I'm going there. I don't know. I work through <laughs> it. It's just this like emotional mindset that I have to work, walk myself out of. And that yeah. I get, it really freaks me out. And, and then, you know, I, sometimes I find these little signs from the universe, like how much better my life has gotten and my marriage has gotten and my hmm. relationship with my boyfriend has gotten since we all moved together. And just like how blessed yeah. I am to have, frankly, three incomes and yeah. all multiple hands on deck for all of this. And, stuck with a bunch of people who drive me crazy but are but are so much help and Hmm. add so much goodness to my life and I just feel so blessed and it's just like why would God or the universe or whoever why would this be so wrong if it enriches my life in so many ways that it wasn't previously you just Hmm. have to rationalize it to yourself constantly the purity culture thing is a, a topic I'd love to talk about on the show at some point because, um, you know, I was, I was a teenager when the whole I kiss dating goodbye thing. Oh came my out God. I emailed him after he came out, said that he was divorcing his wife and stuff. He's very kind now. Oh, he's such a nice he's guy. So isn't humble. he? Yeah. Um, yeah. I recommend for people struggling with purity culture, I recommend, Oh my gosh, what's the name of her book? Nadia Bowles Weber wrote a book about it and she turned all these purity rings into a vagina sculpture. Oh, I've heard about that. Shameless, a sexual reformation by Nadia Bowles Weber. It's a very good book recommendation. She doesn't talk about polyamory, but she doesn't like say that it's wrong either. She doesn't say any sexual thing is wrong. You wrote a blog a while back and somebody commented um, that they were an atheist who grew up in an evangelical environment uh, but were fascinated by you because they couldn't understand how you would square up polyamory with thou shalt not commit adultery. And you mentioned that, uh, you said, isn't adultery cheating on your spouse? Everyone is on board. Don't compare adultery and polyamory. Yes. Um, I mean, mom calls it, what is it? my Like my mom calls it like a, a loophole. You're just cheating with permission. I don't know if she would call hmm. it that anymore since I literally live with my partners which means it's yeah. certainly more than just cheating. I don't understand cheating with permission. It's just like, how does that even work? Yeah, cheating is lying. <laughs> that isn't the lying part, the part you don't like. It's not like I forced yeah. him to like, let me cheat. I asked him, we talked about it. We have conversations. We check in about it. 
They, I yeah. think people just can't, can't understand the true definition of adultery. Like, especially thinking about in Bible times, a man would mm-hmm. ch- cheat on someone and leave his wife and, you know, women didn't have prospects back then. So they'd be penniless, probably stuck with kids all because they w- wanted something new. Yeah. In tribalism, they tend to say that, you know, when, when a, a lady in the, in the tribe gets pregnant, that, that the whole community bears that child because it's the responsibility of everybody to ensure that that child uh, I agree. is well taken care of. And so in the kind of nuclear family of America, we're not, not just America, that's not fair, but the nuclear families is quite differently than many of our ancestors have lived. Um, and so it sounds like what you guys are doing essentially is saying, no, as a family, we are taking care of each other. And oh, yeah. now there's more, like you said, more hands on deck to make the load a little bit lighter. Yeah. And my girlfriend, she has five kids with three with her husband and two with her boyfriend. The other two with her boyfriend aren't hers biologically, but they're all being raised together. And we just, I just like, I don't know what I would do without them. And it's been hard because now we're all quarantined and we just made the decision this week. We were all still seeing each other because we all worked from home. But when I woke up with a cold this week, then I decided, you know, it just had to be the five of us here and they agreed with it, but it's hard. They're such a vital Mm. part of our lives. And I feel like polyamory is sort of a way of a more communal way of living. And if you're not into having a romantic and sexual relationship with multiple people, maybe living with cousins or siblings or friends. Like I know of like single moms who live together and help raise their kids together. I think, I think we've been pretty isolated as a culture because Mm. of just like, Oh man, woman, kids, that's the only way. And I think maybe sometimes other options are valid and maybe can even be more helpful. This will be the hardball question of the interview, and it's not even that hard. But the um, the ERLC, which is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, uh, run by Dr. Russell Moore. Oh uh, my goodness! They took a different approach to. <laughs> I knew I'd get a little bit of a a response, but their website suggests that the presence of polyamory among professing believers is yet another manifestation of a culturally accommodating Christianity that seeks to worship the Lord on its own terms. Sure. How would you respond to that? It almost pisses me off because you look at a country, I mean, I don't mean to get too political, but I will, that's built on such greed and such wealth and the things that Jesus talked against so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And to just be, say that I'm the one who changed Christianity for my ways. Like, no, I'm just a Christian who happens to be bisexual, happens to be polyamorous. And I still like, I don't, I didn't stop believing in Jesus because, and God, because I became polyamorous. And I don't know, I, if I've prayed, I've been like, if this is wrong, tell me, like, send me a sign. I'm Pentecost, I'm ex Pentecostal. So I'm not just going to stupidly pretend like I'm super theological and have all the answers, but I've prayed over and over again, like, send me a sign. If Hmm. this is wrong, send me a sign. And it's never happened. And I don't know, what do you want me to do? Like remove someone who is now vitally important to my financial life, to my home, to my children's lives, to my husband's life. What do you want me to do to like tear apart my family? The other option always seems so much worse. I'm, I've 
by my own standards, I've never cheated on my husband. How many monogamous Christians can say that? It's the answer is not a hundred percent. I, I want to say this cautiously, and I know people are going to be quick to rip it apart, but it almost seems like when your ultimate commitment is to a monogamous relationship, that it almost becomes a breeding ground for, you know, if if you don't have that openness and honesty with that spouse, then of course that cheating side of things is going to come up, right? At least where you're at, you're on terms. I don't understand relationships when people, like monogamous or polyamorous, where people don't talk to their 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 problems with their partners. If you go to these Reddit boards, like, am I the or relationships on Reddit, and you see these problems that people have with their partners nonstop, religious or not, yeah. I am always stunned the that the people go through with their partner and they yeah. that they're they're so lost by it that they're talking to the internet rather than being able to talk about their partner with it personally. Where do you guys draw the line um, with how many kind of new arrivals show up in the relationship? Because part of monogamy is this understanding that you're no longer really right. open to new participants in your relationship. But in a poly relationship, is the understanding that you're open to new arrivals right. or that you close it off? Like, kind of, where do you draw the line? So for the past two years or so, I've been with Ty and Daniel only, um, and Rachel. That's my, that's the girlfriend, and me and Daniel date her. But we don't date her together. We actually date her separately. Like, I'll have oh, a wow. night with Yeah. And I don't see her as much as, as, I would say she's a secondary partner. Daniel is is dating two girls, two uh, women as well, and he likes to do more casual dating. And like that's not really me anymore. I tried to do hookup stuff while I was exploring everything, and it's just not my favorite. I'm more of a serious relationship, sure. and so since I've been with Ty, I've haven't felt the need to really seek out any more serious relationships. Um, hmm. Sometimes I'd like to talk to people as friends, but. I feel like two men who live with me and like the girlfriend who I see occasionally and Daniel sees more often. I feel like that might be my max. There's a term called polysaturated, which means you feel like you have enough partners. And so I've been huh. working with my therapist um, to sort of more focus on me and family and parenting and getting my little community together yeah. It's really important for me to not seek out other people for validation, I guess, and to only get into sure. relationships or even sexual situations with people who I respect and want outside of just like, I don't know, casual dating, like, oh, I'm polyamorous, so I can and can date whoever I want. I mean, just because I can, it's like dieting, or I, I hate to use dieting because diet culture is so bad, but you know- sure. You can eat an entire package of Oreos, but maybe you shouldn't. I don't know if other people are all like me. Some people like to, there's some people who are like, they call solo poly and they just date whoever and they're live by themselves. And There'd be a different line between me having somebody and, and my wife, if she had another boyfriend going, hey, we're going to have dinner together. And then knowing that they're going to a different room than I, I feel like there would be lines of, you just really have to learn how to trust and how to be open yeah. with one another and how to communicate for and, sure because i do because it could be a, that breeding ground of jealousy i think i don't know i'm just talking trying to talk my yeah. mind through how i would react for instance, to it. my husband doesn't like to hear any sexual details and otherwise 
he's never shown any signs of jealousy whatsoever. You just have to respect yeah. what the other person is comfortable with. And I don't know. That's I try smart. to keep my relationships with each of them, like the emotional stuff, like somewhat private. So it feels like, you know, each relationship is special. It's the same thing as yeah. like having kids. You want to make sure you're not just like, like you want them to feel like individuals. If I had a girlfriend in the house and her and I got in a massive fight, there would obviously by proxy cause tension in the oh my household. God. Well, that my... my boyfriend and husband are always on each other's sides, so you don't have to worry about it. Okay. Yeah. No, they're <laughs> always on each other's sides. That's something that we've been dealing with as we've been living together. And I think they both just mostly agree. Like we don't have, we're not having huge fights. I did have a huge fight with my husband while we were moving. Um, okay. Just because like, that's always moving, fun, right? Yeah. Moving is stressful. <laughs> yeah. And, Ty just went upstairs and ignored it, which was the correct decision. Hmm. Um, but we do have discussions together quite frequently. This is going to be a conversation piece for sure in the future of the church. Um, I'm curious how you would encourage conservative Christians to, uh, like, what would you what would you lead them? And for somebody who's going, well, I've never heard this conversation before. It's given me a lot to think about, like, you have five seconds left on, on the earth. What would you ask them to consider? I would like ask them to consider the fact that all of these other partners are humans. You know, um, it's just like, you know, you accept your daughter is gay or whatever, but you then if you reject their partner, you're rejecting something extremely sacred to them. So if you reject someone who's polyamorous, especially if they already have established partners, you're rejecting people who are sacred to mm. them. And is it worth it for you? You can... Like if you, if people want to disagree, quote unquote, with people's lifestyles or whatever, that's fine, sure. but don't come from it from an approach like, oh, you're an evil sinner and you should stop this immediately. These are human beings. These are actual real people who matter to me and in other people's lives. You know, in a sense, it, it is like a divorce. And as much as that's discouraged in the church, it seems like, well, if you approach an existing condition and you showed up at my church... I would have to tell you to get rid of one of them, but you're going, on one hand, you're you're saying, no, divorce is not an okay option, but now you're telling me that I, essentially I have to divorce somebody yeah, in my life. Yeah, and they would, of course, they would years. tell me to get rid of my boyfriend. Um, and then sure. what, what, like, are you going to help me? What if I'm miserable for the rest of my life in my marriage and my family without my boyfriend? Then what? Did I make mm. the right decision for you? Yeah. It's like these well, are human beings. Consider. Do you want me to be miserable for the rest of my life? Then I'll resent God. I don't know. I'll res certainly resent the church. I yeah. like. I mean, people don't want to have to. It's one thing to be like, oh, you have to choose between this obviously bad and evil thing like gambling or alcoholism. Then to be like, this is a human being who is sacred in the eyes of God who you love and you have to get rid of them like they're nothing. Well, I've never considered that. That's a good word. I know we've talked almost an hour here, which went really quick. And I just want to say uh, again, uh, you're great follow. Thank you for, for kind of uh, educating me on some of this stuff. Sure. And I'm sure I'll have more questions in the future, but I'd always love to have you back on in the future. And thanks for uh, being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. Again, that was Jennifer C. Martin who uh, is available on Twitter by reaching out to the handle at NotReallyJCM, NotReallyJCM. She's a great follow and definitely has given me a lot to think about. Again, I don't always agree with everything on the show, 
but the purpose of the show is to have conversations with people that live differently and think differently than I do and hopefully find some common ground and be encouraged and be inspired and that we walk away with something deeper to understand as we all are in the pursuit of what truth is. And so hope this was a great episode for you. I truly enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next time on Heath in Pursuit. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Heath in Pursuit podcast. We look forward to being back with you next week. For more information on the various works of Heath Hollandsby, please visit heathinpursuit.com.